Now, uh, one thing that I think it's important for us to understand as believers, but this time of year is a really good time to think about it, is that the entire story, the entire human story, the entire story of Scripture in the Bible, it is one story that builds toward Jesus. In the beginning, God made all things, distant galaxies, supernovas, the laws of physics, absolutely everything. And then on one tiny, remarkable planet, he focused his attention to make a beautiful world bursting with life. And it was the pinnacle of his creation. And the pinnacle of that pinnacle, he made us, the cherry on top. And we were meant to be his representatives. We were meant to be God's partners in the world, his, in a sense, co-creators, building and creating and sculpting this world he had made. And it was supposed to be that we would know him and love him and reflect his goodness to the world. We would shine a light of his goodness to the world. But those first people, instead of working with God to build up his world, they rebelled against God. And they sought to make themselves the center of everything. That evil rebellion spiraled out of control until God decided he needed to cleanse his creation of all the evil that humanity had brought into it and he needed to start over. So God sent a flood to unmake what he had made. And he saved a small remnant of humans. A man named Noah and his family would get the chance for a fresh start to hopefully help humanity get off on a better second start than the first did to help humanity, again, live up to its calling. Because we were supposed to be partners with God, living with him, for him, and reflecting his goodness to the world, shining a light of his love to the world. So hopefully Noah and the rest of his chosen family would try hard to learn from those past mistakes that came before them, and they would get things right the second time. But unfortunately, that's not the way the story goes. You see, we humans have this incredible tendency to repeat the mistakes of the past. Um, there's a reason why um, the famous saying is, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it, and usually will repeat it anyway. So slowly and steady, steadily, humanity again lost sight of God, stopped being his partners in creation, and in fact derailed his beautiful world into darkness. And yet because God loves humanity, because he wants us to be a part of his world, because he wants us to be in a relationship with him, he tried again. But this time, instead of erasing everything, God decided to try a little more of a hands-on approach. You see, this time, God picked out one man, a man named Abraham, and God chose to make a deep, long-lasting promise with Abraham where he would guide and specifically work through Abraham's family. And so this, pr this promise that God made was that Abraham would have a huge, huge family tree of which he was the root, and that God would do great things for the world through this family tree. God promised he would give Abraham so many descendants that they would outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on all of the beaches, and that they would be a great nation, and again, they would be a people, a, a, a human grouping that lived up to humanity's calling of partnering with God and showing his light and love to the world. And God promised that through these people, he would bless the world. And God worked through Abraham. He worked through Abraham's son, Isaac. He worked through Isaac's son, Jacob. And then he worked through uh, Jacob's 12 sons. 
But even with God working so closely with them, these men still tended to get off track. They still struggled to live the way God wanted us to all live. They weren't perfect. They were far from it. And because, but even though they weren't perfect, even though they went off track, because God is so loving and because of the promise that he'd made with Abraham, God never abandoned them or gave up, gave up on them. He kept using them. He kept leading them. And then at one point, this family of Abraham, generations had passed and they grew and grew, and they moved to Egypt. And they started as welcomed guests of Egypt, but over time, the family tree started really growing. They were fruitful and they multiplied as God had said would happen. And they soon became so numerous that the Egyptians became to be scared of them. They said, there's so many of them, they're going to one day want to be in charge here. And so the Egyptians, reacting to their fears, uh, they, took the, uh, they took Abraham's descendants and they forced them all into slavery. And for 400 years, they stayed in slavery, generation after generation, knowing nothing but captivity, knowing nothing but being slaves. And it might have looked in this long, dark period of history that God had forgotten them, that God had given up on them, that he broke his promise to them and abandoned them for whatever reason. But even in that darkness, God was with them. Even in that moment of sadness, God was following them. And if you can believe it, God actually used the fears and the evil intentions of the Egyptians to fulfill his promise to Abraham that his descendants would be uncountable. Because it was in that time of slavery that they continued to grow and grow and grow, and their kids had more kids, and their kids had more kids, until there was just so many Egyptian, or so many, excuse me, of Abraham's descendants. And then it came time for them to be set free. And rather than doing it alone, God remembered his desire to partner with humanity, to work through the human race. And so God called a man named Moses, and he empowered Moses to lead a movement of freedom. And God enabled Moses to do great miracles and to call down curses on uh, the Egyptian people, supernatural curses. And it, it kept kind of unrelentingly just hitting the Egyptians over and over again until Abraham's family gathered together and they walked out of Egypt and never returned. And after freeing them, God deepened that covenant promise that he'd made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And this time he made it with the whole people. Through Moses, God called these people and said, you're going to be what I've always wanted. You're going to be the humans that are partnering with me. You're going to be the people that live for me, that show my goodness to the world. And he called this new people, a nation, Israel. And God told them that if they would just be this new and different kind of people, that he would use them and bless the whole world. They would be his partners, his representatives to the world, to show his goodness, to shine his light. And to help them stay in the bounds, God gave them a list, a law code of rules about how they should live. And because God knew of how uh, our struggle, the human struggle to stay faithful, he also created a system for them to have their relationship with God restored. It was a system of blood and sacrifice. It was a system where when you sinned against God, when you worked against uh, his ordered creation as a selfish agent of chaos, you, you ripped apart the peace that God wanted to be in his world 
by disobeying him. That was a crime deserving of death because you were living against your very nature, against the fabric with which God created the world to work. And so to make up for that sin, it always required blood to be spilled. And so to make amends with God, to cover their sins, these people would regularly offer the best animals out of their flocks to die in their place. And this would be a constant reminder of humanity's tendency to stray and the absolute cost of their sin. But also the grace of God, because it wasn't their blood being spilt. There was a mediator in between. And so God continued to faithfully lead them. Lead them. He gave them a home, a, a geographic plot of land to be a nation, to live for him. It was uh, a place where they could influence all the, of those around him, where they could, again, be his partners and shine his light to the world. And what was to make them different, again, was that they were actually living as humanity was intended, not for themselves, but God's partners carrying out his work and will in the world. And in the beginning, this new nation was led um, by judges, some good, some bad. Eventually, they were led by kings, a few good, but a whole lot of those were bad. And with each new leader that you kind of get this hope, okay, is this going to be the moment? Maybe this is going to be the person who actually shows us how humanity is supposed to be, who actually helps us see what it means to be fully human, living for God and shining his light to the world. Maybe now we will be the partners that God desires us to be. But despite how God had freed them from slavery, despite how he had given them a place to have their own freedom and be a nation and be their own people and live for him, uh, despite how he'd cared for them all along the way, these people proved to be like every human that came before them. And over time, they led or they walked away. They strayed away from God. They were stubborn. They were disobedient. They were easily convinced that something other than God could bring them joy and happiness. And if you read this section of the Bible, it's really easy to be like, man, these guys are dumb. God has done so much for them. But what you should see in this is yourself. These people are a reflection at this time, not of God and not of his goodness, but of the struggle that we face every day, the lies we face every day, to, to believe that something other than God is going to bring us ultimate joy and happiness. And so what happened was there became a cycle where God's people would walk away from God. They would start suffering greatly. They would think, this is bad. And they would call say, on God and say, God, help. It's been a while. I hope you're still on the line. Please come rescue us. And God would rescue them. And there would be a revival. And they would come back to God. And then after a season, they would forget. They would stray into sin again. They would start to suffer. They'd call back on God. He would rescue. And this repeats over and over and over throughout the history of Israel. And it gets bigger and more, their, their sin as along the way gets bigger and more grotesque and more brazen along the way until God decided that he'd had enough. And God used bigger and stronger nations to take away the things that he had given them. He'd given them a land. Nations came in and flattened their cities and stole their people and took them back into slavery. They'd been freed from slavery. God gave them that. Nope, that got taken away. They were once a nation where they got to be called a nation. They had borders and, and, and geographical or geopolitical power to negotiate with other nations. They lost that. Israel stopped being a nation. And for 70 years, God allowed them to sit in the rubble after he'd taken everything away from them. And in this season, it might look like God was done with them, like he'd finally given up, like he'd finally had enough. But even in the darkness, God 
was there. Even through that season of pain and struggle, God was still working with them and for them. And after 70 years, they are allowed to return to their homeland. They're allowed to start rebuilding their cities, rebuilding their lives. And as a remnant of the Israelite people returned home, they were eager to rebuild themselves as a people who partnered with God. These people were determined like no humans who ever came before them. After having God's blessings and having them yanked away, they had learned a powerful lesson about the faithfulness of God. And here was God faithfully allowing them to return. He'd never given up on them. He was allowing them to return and have another chance to be his people, to partner with him and shine his light to the world. And they tried for about 130 years. But as with all humans before them, even their best efforts, they had some success, but they still struggled to learn their lessons along the way. And they weren't the nation they were. They didn't have kings, powerful rulers. They didn't get back all that God had taken away from them the first time. But they were a people that largely broke the mold, and they found ways to stay faithful to God in ways their ancestors never had. And just as things were looking up, silence. God stopped speaking to them. And for 400 years, there was silence. For 400 years, there was nothing from God. Are we doing things right? Are we doing things wrong? God, where are you? What's happening? Silence. And into that darkness, it might have looked like, okay, he's really done with us now. We did something wrong, and he's done. Into that darkness, it might have looked as if God had given up on them, as if he'd broken this promise that he'd made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and all of their other ancestors. But even in that darkness, God was with them. For in this time, God was preparing to do his greatest work. The 400 years of silence almost seemed to be a deep breath before you really get to work. Have you ever dived into a big project and you just kind of like, here we go. Like It almost seems like that silence was this deep breath before diving in. Because it was into the darkness after 400 years that God finally spoke. And he spoke to a young woman who might have been a teenager, and he said, hey, guess what? Here you are, this young girl who's done nothing except show great faith with your life. You're, you're born in the most unremarkable place the world has to offer, and yet right here, through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. That promise I made to Abraham that I would use his family tree to bless the whole world, young Mary, now, now's the time. Now's the season for that, and I'm going to, or God has came to tell you, sent me to tell you that you're going to give birth to a baby, and that baby would be his savior to the whole world. And God stepped out of heaven and into our world. And she would name this baby Jesus, or the Hebrew name that he would have gone by would have been Yeshua, which means God saves, and his very name would be Salvation. That was his name, God saves. His very existence in the world would bring hope. For he would be the human who would finally do what humans were designed to do. He would partner with God every step of the way. He would show the world what God was like. There is no clearer picture for us about what God is like than the story we read in the pages of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is the greatest example of the, God, of the God of the universe that we will ever see. And Jesus would shine into the world this perfect representation 
of the God who made everything. He never sinned. He never strayed. He did not follow the pattern of every other human that had come before him. He never lived for himself instead of the Father in heaven. Jesus lived an utterly, perfectly, fully human life. Now, in our world, we say the phrase, it's only human. That means it's only human to make mistakes. But God's intention of a human was somebody who lived perfectly for him, never wavering, never losing sight of his goodness. And Jesus lived that perfect human life. And he was, in a sense, while he was living, he was standing in our place, being our representative, doing what we could not do, loving God with an absolute unwavering devotion. And his coming into our world changed everything. It was God entering into his creation to begin restoring what humans had been making chaos for thousands upon thousands of years. And Jesus stood between us and God. And he showed us what God was like. But he also showed us what we were meant to be like. The kind of people that we were meant to be. The kind of love and devotion to God that we were supposed to have. But it wasn't just enough for Jesus to show us how we were supposed to live. He came to also get rid of all the stuff that kept us from living that way in the first place. He saw that we were slaves to sin. That humanity, no matter how hard we tried, we just kept drifting back into the old sinful ways according to the temptations and desires of our hearts. He saw that we returned again and again no matter how deeply we wanted to walk away from it. And so Jesus offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, not just to die for the sins of the past like all those animals had been given for. They were cover-ups for what had been done. Jesus came not only to die for the past, but to die for the future sins that we hadn't even sinned yet, the evil ideas that we hadn't even had a chance to think of yet. And by doing that, by being this perfect, holy offering that died for all sin, past and present and future, he broke sin's hold over us. He broke sin's hold over us. Jesus made it so that sin could no longer condemn us and break our relationship with God. But now Jesus wanted to do something that would help us to finally live like him, have the ability to follow in his footsteps, to live up to the purpose and reason that we were made. And so Jesus sent his spirit to live inside of every believer, inside of us, giving us strength, direction, help, accountability, all of those things so that we could actually be people who partner with him, who lose our desire to do what is selfish and gain an, un, an unquenchable desire to do what is right according to him and, and a desire to shine his light to the world. Jesus came into our world as a light to a dark and broken human race, and he saved us. He rescued us from ourselves so that after thousands and thousands of years and millions upon millions of human failures, that we as humans could finally, finally shine God's light to the world. The Bible tells one story from beginning to end, and it is a story that builds and finds its center on the work of Jesus, on him coming into our world to remake what we have made wrong. And the whole story, it builds in like this waves crashing against the shore, and they go back. And then the waves come in a little stronger, and they go back, and they come in a little stronger. The whole story 
builds and builds and builds until it has its fulfillment, its middle, its pinnacle in Jesus. So I understand reading the Bible can be confusing. There's a lot of weird stuff in there. But do know that it tells one story, and that story is ultimately pointing the way to Jesus. He is our Savior. And so remember, he was a light to us, hope to us in darkness. But he came so that we could be transformed, so that we could be redeemed to actually be a light that shined his love and his hope to the world so that we could finally be people the way he intended people to be. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this hope that we have in Jesus. We are grateful for this amazing, detailed, unified story that we find in the pages of Scripture. We are grateful that we can turn our hearts and our focus to Jesus in this season and remember that Jesus came to remake what we <laughs> had been busy unmaking. You came to bring peace and joy into the world. You came so that people would shine your light. We would reflect your image to the world. And yet we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to satisfy our desires rather than making a name for you and satisfying your desires, Father. And into that beautiful world you made, we brought chaos and selfishness over and over again. And every human walked in that path for thousands upon thousands of years. And Jesus came to break the cycle. He came to show us what you were like. He came to show us what we should be like. He came to show us what it meant to truly keep our eyes on you and to remember your ways. He came to show us what it meant to say no to sin and yes to you. He came to show us what it meant to say, make the hard decisions of denying ourselves so that we could honor and glorify you and be an active partner with you in this world, that we would be creating peace and bringing in joy and hope and love into this world, not chaos and sadness and despair. So help us, Father, as we live in this age where Jesus has already come, He's already lived his beautifully perfect life. He's already died a sacrificial death and he's already risen again in power and he's already given his Holy Spirit to believers. I pray that we would be a people who by the power of your spirit can live as fully human as we can say no to sin and yes to your will and your plan so that we can shine your light to the world.